But we're going we're gonna to take it section by section. So we're going to start with Colossians 1. And I really hope you don't hate this because I'm nervous about it because this is different than what I normally do. So I told Aaron, I said, I may rewrite my sermon for next week today after today. We'll see how that goes. So, uh, but we'll, we'll start off looking at, at Colossians 1. We'll read section by section. The first section of Colossians 1 is Colossians 1, 1 through 2, where Paul writes these words. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters of Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Okay, in the Bible, you have different types of books. You know, you have the Old Testament, you have, you have Genesis and through, through Deuteronomy, which are called the Torah, the law. After that, you have the histories, Samuel, Judges, the books that tell history. Then you have what's called the wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Job. Then you have the prophets, Amos, we just read from this morning, people that God raised up to speak the word. Then in the New Testament, and the Old Testament is the God's covenant relationship with the people of Israel in the Old Testament. This morning in Amos, whoo, God fussed at him, didn't he? God was not happy with his people in Amos, was he? Well, because in the early part of the Old Testament, he gave them the law. He gave them the covenant. He said, keep the covenant, you'll get the land. The rest of the Old Testament, they break the covenant. So God punishes them, sends them to exile, then brings them back under Nehemiah and Ezra. So that's the Old Testament. The New Testament is the story of God's covenant relationship with us through Jesus. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they are Jesus' story. Then you have the book of Acts, which is the early church, the first movement of the church. Then you have the epistles. Those are letters that Paul and others wrote till we finally, finally wind up in Revelation, which is just Revelation. It's just its own over there. So now, Revelation is apocalyptic. It's this book of prophecy and history and all kind of stuff. Um, but Colossians, Paul literally wrote letters to, Col- to different churches. Galatians was his letter to Galatia. Corinthians were his letters to Corinth. Ephesians were his, was his letter to Ephesus. So Colossians is his letter to the church in, Cor- in Colossae. He had been to this town and preached and started the church. And then he went off and started other churches. But he would write back to his first churches that he was at and say, okay, here's what you need to know. Here's what you're struggling with. Here's the answers to your questions. So Paul is writing a letter back to a church he started, Colossae. It's an actual letter he wrote and had mail and had traveled to them. This is a town that most of the towns Paul preached in were Gentile towns. Colossae was a town that was on a crossroad. Most towns have always been either on crossroads or on bodies of water. Colossae was both. It was at a crossroad, but it was also on a major river. The the major road to Ephesus passed through here. So what does that mean? It's a town full of all types of people. Jews and Gentiles and Romans and Greeks. This was a melting pot city. You had people from all over the known world that were here in this town. And that's where the church took root. So what then happened is this church was a very diverse church. This church would have had former Jews, it would have had Gentiles, it would have had Romans, it would have had Greeks, it would have had slaves, it would have had free, it would have everything. This was a very diverse town and a very diverse church. So Paul is writing back to this church to answer some serious questions that this church had. 
It was a Gentile and Jewish, a lot of, a lot of commerce. And the question that Paul writes to them basically about, particularly in chapter 1, is this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? So, let's read the next section, verses 3 through 14. Where Paul writes these words. In our prayers for you, we always thank God the Father, the Lord of our, the, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That's important. We're going to come back to that in a second. You have heard of this hope before the word of truth, the gospel that has, been come, that has come to you. Just as, just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day that you've heard it to the, and, tr- and truly compre- today you heard it and truly comprehend the grace of our God. This you learn from Ephesus, our beloved servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to, you, to, you, to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you, and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in knowledge, the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul says here, I said pay attention to verse 4. Because Paul says in verse 4, For you have heard, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for the saints. Then verse 5, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have love for the saints. You have love for each other. You have, and y'all, loving folks is hard, isn't it? To truly love somebody is a difficult thing. I, I talked of it, I wrote a little blog post this week about some of the things I tell couples when they get married. And one of the things I tell couples when they get married is this, you've got to love your spouse more than you love being right. Because, dadgummit, sometimes you're right, and they're wrong. And sometimes you've got to say, I'm sorry, even when you don't want to. You know why? Because you love them more than you love being right. And that's hard. That's hard, y'all. It's hard to love those with whom you disagree. It's hard to, it's hard to love those you don't like. Mama used to always say, I may love you, don't mean I got to like you. They love each other. They love the saints. Why? Because of the hope they have. Because because is a big word in Scripture. Anytime you see the word because or so or but in Scripture, pay attention to what happens next. Because those words signal a shift. You love each other. Why? Because of the hope you have in Jesus. Yeah, it's hard, but something better's coming. Something better's coming. Yeah, this world is big and mean and nasty. But something better's coming. Because it says that in verse 10, he says, 
You may leave lives worthy of the gospel, bearing much fruit. In verse 11 it says, you are prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to your Father. Endure everything. We don't understand what Rome did to Christians. Nero, the Roman emperor, would use Christians as human torches in his garden. He would take Christians, tie them to poles, set them on fire alive, and that's how he lit his gardens. Christians were dressed up in, um, in lamb skins and taken out to the Colosseum and had the lions released to attack them for the entertainment of the crowd. Okay? Christians were literally killed for, for taking on their faith. People weren't just mean to them or made fun of them. They killed them. And Paul says, you endure this. You have patience in your struggles. Why? Because of the hope you have in Jesus. No matter how great the struggle, no matter how great the trial, no matter how hard it may be, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how heavy the burden, no matter how challenging it may be, we have hope because of our faith in Christ Jesus. And something better is coming. Something better is coming. C.S. Lewis says, it is only since we have grown to disbelieve, how do you say it? We've only since we've grown to not focus upon the, the life that is to come that we have stopped being effective in the life that is. There's something better coming. So we can run hard. We can, we can work hard. We can face struggles. We can face trials because something better is coming. Weeping may last the night, but joy cometh in the morning. It's going to be okay. Don't lose your hope. Don't lose your hope. Because if you lose your hope, you'll stop loving. If you lose your hope, you'll stop taking care of each other. If you lose your hope, you'll stop working for good. If you lose your hope, you'll stop relying upon Jesus. Don't lose your hope. They produce lives worthy of the gospel, is what it says in verse 10. What does that mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? It says there, it's a life that bears fruit. Remember last week in worship, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, things such as that. We're going to bear fruit. An apple tree is going to bear apples. A peach tree is going to bear peaches. Muscadine branch is going to grow muscadines. In your life, you're going to bear some fruit. I used to tell folks, it's never a good thing. If you tell folks you're a Christian, they go, really? I didn't know that. It's not a good sign. Our life should bear fruit. Not, not fruit that is perfect because we're imperfect people. The fruit that is joyful and peaceful and kind and loving. And that's what I keep... John Wesley had this crazy belief in his day. John Wesley believed the way you cured the social problems of England in his day was this. Convert people to Jesus. Because if people were Christians, they would help the poor. If people were Christians, they'd work against slavery. John Wesley believed that, that the gospel was the key to changing England. I know I'm crazy and I'm, and I'm naive... I think the gospel is the key to changing America. I truly do. I think as people come to know Jesus, they're going to work for the good of each other. They're going to take care of each other. They're going to watch their language. They're going to they're, 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 they're gonna, they're gonna take care of. They're going to protect. If you're, if you're a Christian, you're going you're gonna to change things. 
The world, our nation, needs the gospel now more than ever. I know that's probably naive, but I truly believe it. I truly believe that's the key to changing everything is the gospel. It says, and then Paul talks about that in verse 13. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He transfers us from darkness to light. He saves us. Now, if the only way you can be saved, if the only way you can become a Christian is to have to come down the aisle with tears in your eyes and give your heart to Jesus at the altar, then I'm not a Christian. Because that's not my story. My story is I met Jesus as a child at Johnson Chapel United Methodist Church. I grew some at Camp Wesley. Why do I love Camp Wesley Pine so much? Because I'm a preacher and a Christian because of the work of that camp. That's why I believe in it. I felt God pulling in my heart when I was at Camp Wesley Pines as a teenager. I felt God draw me closer to himself in a Bible study as a senior. And then I truly gave my life to Christ as a senior in my bedroom praying one night. So none of that happened in church really. Some of it did, but not most of it. If the only way you're a Christian is to have one of those, to run down the aisle during 35 verses just as I am, then I'm not a Christian because that's not my story. But I can point to definitive moments in my life when Christ has worked in my life, drawing me closer to him. I can give you definitive moments where God has pulled me to himself. And I can give you definitive moments in my life where God has changed my heart. Because we have to accept Christ. My goal as a preacher is not to make you a good person. My goal is not to get you to tithe. My goal is not to get you to go on a mission trip. My goal is to get you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and follow him with every bit of your life. Because if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, he'll take care of the rest. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, he will fix the other things. You will be faithful. You will give. You will serve. You will go. Because if he is your Lord, he won't let you not do it. That's my greatest goal as your preacher is to get you to fall in love with Jesus Christ. Because that changes everything. That changes everything. Let's look at our next section, verses 15 through 23, which has probably my favorite verse in the entire Bible in it, one of my favorite verses. Verse 15, it's right in there. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he might have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile himself to all things, whether through earth or in heaven, by making peace to the blood of the cross. And you were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his fleshly body, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly, his fleshly body through death, so as to present you as, a, as holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided you continue securely established 
and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. Okay, verse 15 is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Seriously, it's one of those verses you need to highlight and circle and make a note of. He is the visible image of the invisible God. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to understand who God is, look at Jesus. We can't see the Father. The Bible says he's spirit. We can't see him. But if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Jesus Christ shows us the heart of God. Okay, then. Okay, preacher. How do we know Jesus? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. How do we know Jesus? The Bible. If you want to know who the Father is, look at Jesus. If you want to know who Jesus is, look at Scripture. Because every word of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. Every word of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. Hear this. One of the mistakes we can make in our culture is that we we exalt, and we do, you know, in church, we stand for the reading of the Gospels. So, but hear this. The Gospels are not more inspired than the rest of Scripture. All of Scripture is equally inspired. We are not gospel-only people. That sounds weird to say. What I mean by that is this. The Old Testament holds truth to us. Because we say, well, the Old Testament, that's just law. What did Jesus say the greatest commandment was? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know where he got that from? The Old Testament. The Old Testament, the entire time, is pointing to Jesus. When Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus in Luke... It says he, he, he took them in, he's on the way of the road. He took from all of Scripture and showed how it pointed towards him. All of Scripture is pointing towards Jesus. On the Passover, they took a lamb. They took a sinless, blameless lamb and killed it, sacrificed it. And they sprinkled the blood of that lamb upon the doorpost of the home. And as the angel of death walked by and saw the blood of the lamb upon the doorpost of the home, death passed by. So in other words, the blood of the lamb protected you from the consequences of death. Hello? That's the gospel. Right there in Exodus. All the Bible points to Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation. So, if we want to know God, you gotta know Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, you gotta know the Bible. Of all the things God has given us, His Spirit and His Word are probably the two most important outside of our salvation. And that's why I wanted to do this with y'all this month. Because if you can understand the Bible better, know the Bible, you can know Jesus better. If you know Jesus better, you're gonna know God better. It says here. Um, verse seven, uh, it says, verse 17, all things hold together through him. Um, everything, everything comes down to Jesus. One of my professors in seminary used to always say, every issue in our life eventually comes back to our walk with Jesus. If I'm not being a particularly good husband or father, it's probably because my walk with Jesus is off. If I'm not being a particularly good pastor, it's probably because my walk with Jesus is off. It all comes back to Jesus. That's the point of Colossians. Remember, this is a diverse city with lots of opinions, lots of things. And that's why Paul, every time, takes it back to Jesus over and over and over again. Because it all comes back to him. It says that he reconciled all things to God the Father through the cross, through the the blood of the cross. 
God's forgiven you. Jesus Christ, through the cross and resurrection, made peace with God. It says in Isaiah, remember all the Bible points to Jesus, it says in Isaiah, upon him was placed the iniquities of us all. His punishment has brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. Through the blood of the cross, through the resurrection, you are forgiven. If you have to do one more thing than the cross to earn your forgiveness, then what you're saying is that the cross wasn't enough. And that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches us that through the cross we are reconciled to God. Through the cross and the empty grave, we are made one with God. Well, we'll finish up with verses 24 through 29. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. I became a servant according to God's command that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery that has been hidden through the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make greatly known among the Gentiles the riches of this glory of the mystery, that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. For we we will proclaim, for it is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this toil and struggle, for this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Remember, he says they love each other because of the hope that they have in what is to come. It says in John 17, 3, Jesus prays this prayer to the Father, the high priestly prayer of Christ where he says, I pray that they would know eternal life, that is knowing the Father and the Son who you have sent. The kingdom of God, eternity, that's not a pie in the sky thing. That's not a one day thing. That's a now thing. Every time you experience God's pleasure in your life, you're, you're getting a foretaste of heaven. Every time you feel the hairs of the back of your neck raised just a little bit, you're getting a foretaste of heaven. Every time you experience love and joy and mercy, you're getting a foretaste of heaven. Every time. The very God that rolled away the stone on Easter Sunday morning. The very God who inspired the writing of Holy Scripture. And it's the very God that through the Holy Spirit now dwells within you. Now, I don't understand that. (laughs) That's why Paul calls it a mystery. But it's true. When you've made the decision to follow Christ, put your full faith in him, that's done to you. That spirit makes that possible. And Christ dwells within you. So have hope. Not only has Christ not forgotten you, but Christ dwells within you through the power of his spirit. May we never, ever forget the hope of that glory. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for Colossians. We thank you for Paul's letters and for Paul's works. Father, as we walk through this scripture together over the next few weeks, oh God, may it become more alive to us each day. 
We love you so much. We ask in the sweet name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.